All right. Have you ever felt like there are more good things in the world for you to do than you could ever possibly do? More good things to do for God than you could ever possibly do? Uh, ministry can be overwhelming. Let's just think about Bundy, shall we? Church, playgroup, growth group, winter dinner, mainly music, prayer meetings, kids' club, meal rosters, women's conference in the making, Simon's book lodge. Mission breakfast, because if I miss the Rodigers now, it's going to be years before I hear from them again. Lunch after church, or if you're at 5pm, snack. Meet the new people, but no, don't neglect the ones you've known for years. Hospitality, have them all over for dinner. <laughs> Somehow you need to speak fast, right, when you say that. It's got that frenzied. Um, and that's before we even start thinking about building evangelistic networks, school, uni, gym, neighbours. They need to know the Lord Jesus. It's before we start thinking about community engagement. Work, you know, good works, acts of love for the people around us, giving blood, school excursions, thinking about the euthanasia bill. And that's before we drill down to the individuals we know, the ones for whom life is overwhelming, who are just keeping their head above water, or not. Because ministry is not a meal or a conversation or an activity. It's hours over days and weeks and months and years. And it's not just about time, it's it's about emotional engagement because you love them. Um, weeping when they weep, celebrating when they celebrate, walking through life together, praying with them and for them, speaking God's words into each other's lives, doing their cleaning if it needs to be done. Um, and if you ratchet this up a level, right, it can get bigger than this because uh, we don't want to limit it just to ministry kind of work, do we? Because if we are meant to do all things, right, to honour God, every aspect of our life is meant to be honouring God, oh, family, friends, work, eating, cleaning, exercise, sleep, mindfulness, don't forget mindfulness. Um, see, our life is often filled with doing ordinary things that need to be done. For quiet times, oh, how they end up at the end of the list. Um, how much of this stuff, or how you spread your time across this stuff, um, depends on all sorts of things, really. Depends on your health, depends on your family commitments, depends on your personality. I'm an introvert, right? That changes how I manage all of these things. Ministry can be overwhelming. Overwhelmed by what's involved in caring for people, overwhelmed by the quantity of people Jesus calls us to love, overwhelmed by the needs of people Jesus calls us to love, overwhelmed by maintaining the structures and activities that we put in place, that need to be put in place to enable people to be loved. I mean, as I was preparing this talk, I was thinking about the irony of a day-long conference on rest for the overwhelmed, because my fear is there's some people who thought, oh, I just can't. <laughs> um, uh, if you know one of them, have a coffee. <laughs> right? They couldn't get here for the day. That's okay. Um, our to-do lists are long, and they always seem to be being added to. Um, people's needs are never-ending, and so we're always making choices about what to do and what to not do. And busyness for a while is okay, but week after week, month after month, year after year, when the tasks are unending, or you're underskilled, and the needs are unmeetable and no one notices, um, ministry can be overwhelming. And there's only so many balls you can juggle at once before they all start hitting the floor, or you start hitting the floor. Um, <clears throat> in our passage this morning, we meet a woman who is a little overwhelmed by serving Jesus. 
And this passage is about the choices she makes and what they lead to. Let's meet Martha. Read, from me, read with me from verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And now Jesus and his disciples are on the way to Jerusalem. He's on the way to the cross. He knows that and he's told them that, but they don't quite get it. And they stop at Martha's house and Martha opens her home to him. Martha does what a Christian should do, really. Uh, welcomes Jesus into her life and home. Martha is Middle Eastern. Now, hospitality is a big thing in the Middle East. If you are Middle Eastern or have Middle Eastern friends, and I'm saying, someone not down here, you know what I'm talking about. When you have people in your home, you care for them, you respect them, you show them what an honour it is to have them with you. And Jesus is not just any guest. This is the Lord Jesus who's coming to dinner. Now, I don't know how hospitality works in your home. Uh, growing up, um, in my home, we didn't have many people over. It was rare. And so when it happened, it was big. Cleaning the house, fancy food, new hand towels and soap, different types of tea. What music are we going to play? Don't let them open the cupboard or they'll see where everything's been stuffed. <laughs> so you're a stressed wreck before the guests arrive, right? At Christmas Eve, you know, I, live, I worked in Canberra. I would leave Canberra at about 2pm on Christmas Eve hit the human drive to Melbourne and get home and start cleaning grandma's old silverware to get it ready for the next day, because that's what you need. Um, and that was my family. And that was, that was with family. Imagine what if Jesus was coming. Um, I don't know what drove, I, I don't know what drove Martha's frenzied activity. Um, maybe it started out with joy that Jesus was coming. You know, what an honour, eh? But at some point it flipped. What drives any of us? Our community expectations, family expectations, desire to please people, please God, not let people down, fear of failure, perfectionism. Do any of these sound familiar to you? Right? Any at all? If I don't do it, no one will, and it needs to be done. If I don't do it, it won't be done properly. <laughs> And Jesus deserves the best. If I don't do it, someone else will have to do it, and they don't have the time and energy to do it either, so best be me. Just call me St Helen the Martyr. <laughs> if I don't do it, I've failed. I've let the team down. I've let God down. If I don't do it, people will judge. It's always been done this way, and I'm not going to be the first one to blink. So there's all sorts of motivations that drive our activity. Many of them, I suspect, we are only dimly aware of. I don't know what was running round in Martha's brain. I don't know why Martha thought all these preparations had to be made, according to verse 40. I don't know why she was worried and upset about many things, according to verse 41. The passage doesn't tell me. But I do know how often I feel the same way. I know how easy it is for me to feel the same way. What the passage does focus on is the impact of Martha's choices. 
See, this doesn't just make her tired and stressed. I want you to notice what it does to her relationships with people. Look what it says in verse 40. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me out. Now, when I transpose this story to modern day Australia, I picture Martha standing in the kitchen doorway, red face, hands on hips, carrying a plate and a tea towel. Now, I don't know whether her tone is passive aggressive. I don't know whether it's a bit shouty because she's so angry. I don't know whether it's a bit whiny because hurt's kind of dominating. Uh, she finds herself angry and impatient with both her sister and Jesus as the pressure of having to do everything takes its toll. No one notices, no one cares. She's angry at her sister for not helping out. Jesus, tell her to help out because she's too lazy, selfish, dumb to see what's happening. I mean, I recognise sibling tension when I see it. It doesn't take much to make it bubble over, does it? Somehow when you're with your family, your true self comes out. That unattractive self you manage to contain around others. She's angry at Jesus for letting it happen. Lord, don't you care? Subtext, because if you did, you'd do something. And then, I think it's fantastic, then she tells Jesus what to do. Tell my sister. Now, it's a brave call, I think, to accuse Jesus of lack of love and lack of wisdom. See, Martha is so busy working for Jesus that she's forgotten to listen to him. She's so busy working for Jesus that she stops listening to him and starts telling him what he should do. But it doesn't have to be that way. There is another way, and Mary shows us what it is. You see it in verse 39. Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. It's a radical thing that Mary is doing. It's a radical thing that Jesus encourages Mary to do, commends Mary to do. It's a radical thing that Jesus tells Martha to start doing. Mary is sitting at the Lord's feet listening to him, eager to learn, eager to follow, eager to be close. Very countercultural. Sitting at the feet of a teacher was what a disciple did. And in this time and place, rabbis nearly always only had male disciples. Women were responsible for the food. Mary was doing what Martha should have been doing, what Martha was distracted away from. Now, technically, Martha isn't actually doing anything wrong. Hospitality is a good thing. It's good. But in this case, it came at the cost of listening to Jesus. And that's not a good thing. Too busy working for Jesus, too busy to listen to him. Busy with good things, but busy with things that Jesus hasn't commanded. And if you don't listen to Jesus, it actually gets really hard to know what he wants from you, to know how to serve him, which is a very sad thing. To be so caught up in serving Jesus, so focused on what you're doing for him that you stop listening to him. Listen to what Jesus says to Martha and Mary in verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, 
You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. See, what Martha is doing is not just sad, it's destructive. She has undermined her relationship with Jesus as she doubts her love for him. Sorry, his love for her. She has undermined her relationship with her sister as she blames Mary's inactivity for her own stress levels. And if Martha had had her way, she would have undermined Mary's relationship with Jesus. She would have prevented Mary listening to Jesus too. Now that's serious. We can laugh about how busy we are, but that is serious. Jesus won't let that happen. He speaks these words to Martha, but he wants both women to hear them. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset. I mean, Jesus is gentle and loving, but this is a rebuke, isn't it? It's done with kindness, but... It... Martha, Martha, let me tell you what I want. I want you to listen to me. Do what is better. Don't just do what is good. Do what is better. Listen to me. If you are anything like Martha, please hear Jesus' rebuke with the gentleness it comes with. Helen, Helen. Catherine, Catherine. <laughs> you know, you can whack your own name in there. You know how to do it. Um, but Mary needs to hear these words as well because she needs to listen to Jesus, not her sister. Which raises the question of how we listen to Jesus now, doesn't it, when he's not sitting in the lounge room? Um, see, I think we listen to Jesus when we read the Gospels. We hear what he says and we see what he does. I think we listen to Jesus when we read the rest of the New Testament. We hear his words applied by the apostles to people like us, people who live with the risen Lord in heaven, waiting for him to come back. We listen to Jesus, I think, when we read the Old Testament because it points to him. It explains him. It prophesies him. It tells us why we need him and who he is and why he matters. So I think we listen to Jesus by reading the scriptures as the Spirit takes those words and writes them on our hearts. So they're not just words on a page that we read. You know, we don't just read the Bible, right? When you read the Bible, you listen to Jesus. It's relational. It's internal. So I'm going to be referring to the scriptures as we apply this story today. Who knew? <laughs> um, see, I think Jesus says to people like Martha, people who risk being overwhelmed by ministry busyness, listen to me. I know you and I know your limitations. You, you can't do everything. There are more good things to be done than you can possibly do. So choose well. Choose what is better. Because if you don't, there will be consequences and they're not good. They're not good for you and they're potentially not good for those around you. He says to Martha, choose to listen to me rather than feed me. Because right now you can't do both. Uh, now the longer I've been Christian, the more aware I have become that my choices in ministry are usually not about choosing between good and bad options. You know, I kind of see the bad options for what they are and think, no, nah, don't do it. Um, they're choosing between good and good options. There are only a certain number of hours in a day. 
and I have finite health and time and energy levels. And that's not a surprise to Jesus. God created us and he created the world we live in. He, he built 24 hours a day into the system and he built into us the need for sleep. That's not a design flaw. God knows us and our limitations. God made Helen Bell. Um, I took long service leave, ago, leave a few years ago and spent some time thinking about rest. Uh, the Sabbath rest command is in the Ten Commandments, right? It is up there with do not commit adultery and do not commit idolatry. Now, honestly, if I'd been reducing what I wanted down to ten, I don't think I'd have put rest up there. Which tells me there's something about rest that I don't understand. And as I thought about it, I realised that my discomfort with rest is about me actually telling God he didn't make me right. He made me physical with all the limitations that that involves, and I'm not happy with that. He tells me I need to spend time with him, with the people I, he puts in my life, in the world he created. I, I need to spend time investing in those relationships, enjoying them. He says that, but I didn't listen. And rejecting it, it's like telling him, he got it wrong, I should have more capacity. I realised that my inability to rest was because I actually feel and act like life depends on my work. Rather than trusting God to provide for me and to provide for others, I trusted my efforts to provide for me and to provide for others. And when you work in Christian ministry, my work is proclaiming the gospel. If I'm not out there doing that, people die. You do it with your own job and your own work, all right? So now when we get to a place where we start thinking that people's well-being and our well-being depends on us, when we get into that headspace, there will always be more work to be done. It is right to feel the weight of people's needs, but don't bear them alone. We're certainly not expected to meet them alone. So if that's you, right? If that's how you actually think, let me give you a tip. You are not the saviour. You can't save anyone, nor can I. The job is taken. We have a saviour and his name is Jesus and he knows what he's doing and he's qualified for the job. Let him do it. So I've been learning to say no to good things without feeling guilty. Because um, if something needs to be done and I can't do it, Maybe it doesn't actually need to be done. I mean, I think it does, but maybe God has other plans. Or if it does need to be done and I can't do it, God will raise up someone else to do it. And it will be a blessing for them to serve Jesus in that way. Or maybe if it does need to be done and it, I don't know, it does turn out that I'm a good person to do it, then there will be something else I can drop. I can swap something out of my to-do list, not just make it longer. See, I don't want to be so busy working for Jesus that I forget to listen to him. I don't want to be so busy working for Jesus that I start to begrudge him and begrudge my brothers and sisters. He knows what I can do and what I can't. He knows my health or lack thereof. He knows my family and what they need. Listen to Jesus. He knows you and he knows your limitations. 
But he doesn't just know our limitations. I, I think he offers us more than we can ask or imagine. See, I think what Jesus is offering Martha, he is not just offering her help with her responsibilities. He's offering her a relationship with himself. He is offering a relationship that will change the way she thinks about God and herself and the world. That changes the way she works out what her responsibilities are and how she can meet them. See, I don't want to be so busy working for Jesus that I forget to listen to him. I want to spend time with Jesus, listening to what he says, trying to understand it and why it matters, letting it shape me and the way I think about my world and, and him and my relationships, letting him shape how I spend my time and energy, the time and energy that he's given me. Um, and we need to keep hearing from him because I think we hear many voices in this world. The voice of our culture. Uh, telling us who we should be as women, mothers, employees, students, friends, blah, 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 blah. We hear the voice of our Christian culture telling us what a good Christian is. We hear the voices of our family and friends who mean well, but don't always know what's best for us, even though they love us. We hear the voice of Satan telling us that Jesus is not powerful, trustworthy and good. He's not helping you. And we hear the voice of our sinful nature, telling you what you need, what you deserve, how other people should be treating you. We hear the voice of our own guilt, reminding us of all the reasons God owes us nothing, all the things we need to make up for. We hear the voice of our own insecurities, that takes all these other voices and somehow magnifies them. There are many voices you will hear and they can be loud and they will never fall silent and they will not let you rest. They'll be running their own agendas, you know, so don't be conned into thinking they're acting in your best interests. Um, and if you listen to them, you will never rest. And these voices shape how we think about ourselves and others and God. They shape how we think and feel. And so they shape the decisions we make. They shape how we live. They shape how we love. So ladies, hear the voice of Jesus spoken through Paul in Romans 8. I'm reading from verse 14. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we're children, we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So listen to the voice of Jesus. Jesus offers you a relationship with your heavenly father, where you are safe and secure, loved and protected, where your future is guaranteed. You are united with Christ in his spirit. He shares his sonship, his relationship with his father, with you. So you can cry, Abba, Father, and know that God will listen. We are not slaves hired for our skill set, for what we can produce for the family. We're not slaves driven by the need to perform so that we remain connected with the family. We are children who are loved. Listen to Jesus. In a busy world, rest in the fact that you are a child of God. Because if you listen to Jesus, right, you won't have to worry about what others are doing 
or what you think they should be doing, or what they think you should be doing, and all of the unhelpful kind of thoughts and emotions that go with that, all the damage to relationships that go with that. You're a child of God. What God thinks is really the only thing that matters. If you listen to Jesus, you can say yes or no without guilt, because you don't need to prove yourself. You're already part of the family. And if you make a mistake, right, if you sin, actually, let me change that, when you make a mistake, when you sin, you'll say sorry and you'll accept the rebuke and then you'll accept the forgiveness and it'll be fine. You're not going to get thrown out of the family or put in the doghouse, right? If you listen to Jesus, you can work hard in God's service. Loving people, caring for people. You can work hard because you don't need to be self-protective. You don't need to worry about what you deserve or how you will cope. Jesus is with you, keeping you safe. And if you listen to Jesus, you can work hard in God's service, knowing that God, through his spirit, empowers you to do what he calls you to do. Knowing that you don't work alone in God's service. Okay, it's a family business we belong to. All of the kids are involved in different roles and responsibilities and capacities. You don't need to do someone else's job in addition to your own. God's the head of the family. He'll sort it. And if you listen to Jesus... You can work hard in God's service, even when you can't work hard. Now, see, I'm aware that there are some of us here who are not exactly overwhelmed, for minist overwhelmed by ministry. Um, you're overwhelmed by your inability to do ministry, by your weakness. Maybe it's health, maybe it's family circumstances, could be any number of things that don't allow you to do for God what you would love to do for God. In 1 Corinthians 12, when Paul talks about the body of Christ, he talks about different people being given different gifts, all for the building up of the body, all for serving the brothers and sisters, all for serving Jesus. And some of those gifts, man, we all want them. They're good. But there's other gifts that the Lord Jesus gives for the building up of the body and no one wants them. <laughs> They're gifts of weakness and vulnerability. And who wants them? We want to care for people. That's ministry. We don't want to be cared for by people. That's taking. But in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about those gifts being worthy of great honour. Because they are hard gifts to keep serving joyfully with to turn up again and again and allow people to care for you and to do that joyfully is hard work. But it is a great blessing to the body of Christ. To give people opportunities for self-sacrificial love is a wonderful, wonderful thing. To show people what it is to trust Jesus when life is hard is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Those gifts, I get we don't love them, but they are worthy of great honour because they are hard. See, listening to Jesus will strengthen you to work hard even when you can't work hard in service of God and his people. Listening to Jesus strengthens you to do all sorts of things that you could not have imagined yourself doing. Um, 
because he's not just helping you with better time management, priority management, people management skills. He's not just helping you think in more positive ways, change the way you think about yourself and others. Although, you know, they're good things. He is giving you a relationship with his heavenly father. He is forgiving your sins and he is conforming you into his image, which, yes, involves suffering before glory. So, I, you know, this is not rocket science, right? Read your Bible. First talk I told you to pray, now I'm telling you to read your Bible. <laughs> now, I'm not telling you to do it every day at 6.30am using XYZ devotional. That would just be another thing to do. That's not what I'm telling you. But I am telling you to read your Bible. Listen to Jesus. And if you can't read it, listen to an audio Bible when you're, I don't know, putting the washing away or on your way to work. Or set aside 10 minutes on a Monday or Tuesday or whenever to read the passage that was preached on Sunday. Um, and remember some of what it said. You know, maybe you don't get it all, but you know, maybe a couple of dot points will stick. Pray that God write his word on your hearts and change you. Or maybe you get to a growth group where you discuss the Bible. Or maybe you block out a meeting with someone to read the Bible, um, if that's what it takes for you to do it. Right? You know yourself. I'm not trying to give you a rule. I'm saying listen to Jesus in whatever way works for you. I'm not great at the, you know, daily bread, read a couple of verses. I, it's, I tend to set aside a two-hour block one night a week, read it, and then that kind of filters through my brain. For the whatever works for you. Listen to Jesus. He's worth the time. He loves you and offers you more than you can ask for or imagine. Um, brief digression before I finish. I want to have a quick word to those of you who are sitting here and you're not feeling overwhelmed. Because um, there will be some people here who aren't. Life's ticking over okay, you're not particularly stretched. There are good things for you to do, um, but not too many. Now, if that is you, praise the Lord. First thing to do. Second thing to do, listen to Jesus. Um, someone got an open Bible in front of them? Who's got an open Bible? All right. What's the, uh, what's the section ahead of this this passage. Just look at the heading. What's the story that comes immediately before this passage? Parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, so listen to Jesus. Love your neighbour as yourself. And your neighbour is anyone who comes across your path. And my suspicion is that if you are in a reasonably robust state at the moment, you are probably in a good position to care for someone whose life is getting a bit overwhelming. You might have the energy and the time to do it. You might be in a good position to take on some of the ministries of people who risk being overwhelmed by them. I think I'd like you to listen to Jesus when he says, love your neighbour. Ask him to help you see the people in your path. Ask him to put people in your path. There's a brave prayer. End of digression. This whole overwhelming thing, Christians aren't the only one who are feeling it. Um, here's what um, Jane Caro write, wrote in The Age a couple of weeks ago. Um, struck a chord with a number of her friends. Uh, her article was titled, right, Why I am fine with being flawed and ordinary. 
This is what she writes. The niggling suspicion you've always had that you are not fabulous or amazing or special, no matter what anyone tells you, is correct. You are none of those things and nor am I. I go to a lot of conferences designed to empower women. I hate that word, by the way. Um, they are big business these days and much of what is said, debated and presented is useful and encouraging, even occasionally inspiring. However, I've noticed a tendency for the women in the audience to be told over and over again how fabulous, amazing and inspiring they are. Now, I understand this is meant to be helpful, but I think it has the opposite effect. It certainly does for me anyway. I don't hear it as a compliment, I hear it as a pressure, even as a criticism. It doesn't make me feel better about myself, it makes me feel worse. You are not fabulous, nor are the women. No matter how fabulous they may look or sound, we like to sprinkle such adjectives around. No one is. We are all flawed, insecure, tired, self-indulgent, even often bewildered human beings who mostly struggle to stay on top of the demands of everyday life. And once you throw off the expectation of fabulosity, life gets a great deal better. <laughs> mainly because you can at last give up pretending to have things sorted. We don't have to earn our right to exist by constantly improving ourselves. It's exhausting, it's boring and it doesn't work, so stop now. This whole overwhelming thing, Christians aren't the only one who are feeling it. Um, Caro is saying you're not fabulous, stop trying to be, which is true and good advice. Um, but it's not enough. It's not nearly enough. We are not fabulous, but we know a God who is. We are ordinary, but we know a God who is extraordinary. It's not enough to know who we are. If we want rest, we need to know who God is. It's not enough to say, I can't control life, so don't try. We need to know the God who is in control. What is out of our control for us is not out of control for him. So listen to Jesus. Trust him. He knows you and he knows what you need. He knows your limitations and he loves you. He offers you more than you think to ask for. He offers you more than you can imagine. <laughs>